are we're here, and you know what an awesome ministry um, God is doing through Brother Dennis Burke and Dr. Burke, how he has blessed us for years and years. No specific amount of years need to be mentioned, but just continually, he's been a blessing. And so uh, let's honor the gift of God and honor what God has brought to us as we open our eyes, open our ears. Thank you, sir. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Glory to Jesus. He is Lord of all. Glory to God. Oh, I'm glad you're here tonight. You came expecting, didn't you? You came to give. You came to receive. You came to honor God. You came to receive from God. Glory to God. I'm just glad you came. Praise the Lord. Go ahead and be seated. Hallelujah. Saturday night, Christian you. I'm confident of this, that we are living in the most amazing and uh, mind-bending days in all of history. We're living in the days, we're watching the, the plans of God unwrap and unfold, but more than that, we're seeing things ourselves, those that are paying attention and those that are pu pushing and pressing, and we're seeing things ourselves of how God wants to lift our life, change our life. We're getting light and insight as to what it means to be a believer. I mean, a real believer. Real light and real insight as to how to move forward in the things of God. We're not standing still. You know, the real believers are not looking to just maintain where they've been. We're looking to progress, move forward, advance. There's something about faith in God and a walk with God. It is ever wanting to increase and see greater things in God and greater things in their own life. Isn't that true for you? Isn't it about, isn't it about ongoing change in your life? It's, it's really not about maintaining things as they've been. It's about advancing and increasing. But sometimes what the devil has done, he's done his best to beat that kind of, that kind of mindset and thinking out of us because of the knocks and hardships and messes that we've ended up going through in life. Maybe in our families, maybe in finances or business or whatever the issue, Satan's done his best to wear people out. But you showed up on Saturday night, whether you felt worn out or not. Glory to God, and so I'm glad you did. I want you to open your Bible tonight. I want to jump right into some things, as I typically like to. And I want to read a statement to you. Man, I've got some, I've got some strong things in God tonight. And I'm just, I'm just expecting that in the next few minutes there's a, a divine and really supernatural something happening in your life. How many of you think something supernatural happening in your life would be good for you right about now? Man, I do too. Glory to God. And so I want to read this statement to you. In fact, uh, you, you probably already know it by heart, but it's in Psalm 118 verse 24 where it says, This is the day that the Lord has made. I'll, I'll give you time to get there, but I'm going to say it again anyway. This is the day that the Lord has made. This is the day. He wasn't talking about Saturday or Wednesday or a day of the week. He's talking about the day of salvation, the day of God's deliverance, 
the day of liberty in your life, the day of restoration, the day when God moves in your life, this is that day you are in that day. Every believer is. We are in the day that God had planned for mankind. The day of freedom, the day of liberty. Glory to God. That's the day we're in. This is that day. And then he says this, this is that day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and I will be glad in it. Praise God. I want you to say it out loud. This is the day that the Lord has made. This is the day of deliverance, the day of healing, the day of restoration, the day of recovery, the day of advancement. And I will, I choose to, I make the determination that I'll rejoice and be glad. Glory to God. The joy and the gladness of heart is not based on the circumstances. It's not based on whether you feel like it is going great or not going great. It's not based on that, not according to the psalmist. He said, it's according to the knowing what day I'm in and what I will to do. I will rejoice. I'll what? Rejoice. I will rejoice and what? Be glad. Be glad. You know, that's different than being happy. Joy really comes out of the spirit. It doesn't come out of the emotions. Joy comes out of the inner man where God dwells on the inside of us. It's not the result, really, of everything going great, everything turning out just right, a high pressure having moved in on the weather, and it's not a low pressure now. It's not a result of feeling that. It's a result of something on the inside of you as a believer that there is joy because you know, and I'll just to work off of what we're reading here, because you know what day it is. Glory to God. You know how the world likes to cheer over Friday. Thank God it's Friday, T-G-I-F. Thank God it's Friday. Well, you know, not every Friday's worth thanking God about in, in some people's life. It's not about a day of the week. Thank God it is the day the Lord has made, my day of deliverance. I want to talk to you about some of that in a little more detail. The day of your deliverance. There was a, an event that took place, and I'm going to read a few verses to you from 2 Kings chapter 13. There was a day when the prophet Elisha, you remember in your studies, the prophet Elisha, he was the understudy and assistant, really, to the prophet Elijah, probably the most colorful guy in the Bible. Elijah, you got to love Elijah. I'm not sure he would have fit in every church. Uh, in fact, I'm not sure he would have fit in hardly any church. He was, uh, he was an interesting character. But uh, Elisha took up the mantle that was on Elijah. I had God take me through a study of these two characters, and, and I use the word character as meaning in a positive way. But these two people, and I had the Lord say something to me, 
And I'm going to take a diversion before we even get into the things that I know that I need to deal with with you tonight. But I saw something by that the Holy Spirit really spoke clearly to me, and it really came out of a statement that an angel of God made to Zacharias, who would be father to John the Baptist, when he was describing, this angel was describing the anointing that would rest on John. John wasn't even born yet. But there would be an anointing that would rest on him. And it was an anointing that this angel described. And he said this. He said that people, of course, will rejoice. And this man, Zacharias, would be glad and rejoice at his birth. But he described how there would be an anointing on John that would be akin, and this was the term that angel used, in the spirit and power of Elijah. And it would be an anointing that would prepare people, it would make people ready and prepare them for the Lord. There was something significant about the spirit and power, that terminology, the spirit and power of Elijah. And the reason I'm starting out this way is because Elisha picked up the anointing, or to use that reference, the spirit and power that was on Elijah. There was something really significant about the way God used Elijah to not just challenge the direction of the day, but to reveal the power and the glory and the blessing of God. Elisha, that young prophet, he would pick up the mantle. And you remember the event that took place and what that term means. It's really a reference to the anointing that was on Elijah. But it really is pictured as Elijah went up in that chariot. How many of you remember these stories? Elijah went up in the chariot. That's where that song, Swing Low, Sweet Chariot, that's where it came from. The chariot of God picked up this prophet of God. And when Elijah went up, the cloak that he had carried, it was just a heavy big cloth, really, uh, used as a coat and used as a variety of things. And that mantle, and that's what they called it, his mantle, as Elijah went up in that chariot from heaven, the mantle fell down to the ground. And when Elisha went and picked up that mantle, he didn't just pick up that cloth, man. He picked up the anointing, the calling, the assignment, and the spirit of that old prophet. One of the first things he did when he got it is he went over and he slapped the Jordan River with it, that little Jordan River. It divided, it divided so many times in Bible history. You don't know which way it was supposed to run, really. <laughs> They had just come over on that uh, with Elijah hitting that thing and saying that the water divides. And now here, Elisha, first thing he does, man, he apparently thought that was the coolest thing he had ever seen. Where it, and he takes that mantle, slaps that river. Where is the Lord God of Elijah? Bam! And here came the same power that was on that old prophet now was moving in this young prophet. Spirit and power of Elijah was now on Elisha. That same spirit and power 
that was on Elisha and on Elijah would be on John the Baptist. But where this goes is that John preceded Jesus and made ready people that would be prepared for the Lord. And that defines the assignment that you and me have in this day right now. That the same kind of presence and power that was demonstrated through these old prophets and the greatest prophet of all, John the Baptist, that's what Jesus called him. And the result of it, that same presence and power is in your life right now today. Glory to God. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to have to go slap rivers and watch them divide. <laughs> be pretty cool, though, if you did. Well, what it means is there is a divine aspect to what you and me are designed right now to do, and Satan hates it. You and me are the threat to the kingdom of darkness. And if Satan can find the way to derail your life, if he can find the way to shift things for you or disconnect you from the sense of God's deliverance and God's help and God's joy and God's provision in your life, if Satan can find the way to do that, then he's done the best that he can do against you. It's too late to drag your soul to hell. Is that true? No, we, we quit on that. We're not, we found out Jesus is Lord, man. I'm not going to hell. I'm going to heaven. And I know it. Glory to God. So it's too late to talk us out of that. But if he can find the way to shift things in your life so that you're letting go of the promise and the power of, of the things that God really does want, if you're letting go of the kind of victories that you could have, you know you could, but life or circumstances have beat you in some ways where you've just lost ground instead of gained ground, then Satan's found a way to derail and undo what God's done in your life. Doesn't mean you'll go to hell. Heaven's still your home, but you're not living in the kind of place where that day of deliverance is shining bright in your life, man. God wants it back in you, and we want it back too. Can you say amen to that? But now at the end of Elisha's life, he's lived a long life. The charity of God didn't come for Elisha. He would live out his days, and now he's at the end of his days, and his influence has been amazing. His miracles have been twice that of his mentor. He's anointed and finished, really, the assignment that God gave Elijah. God told Elijah he was to do three things before he left. He was to anoint Elisha. He was to anoint a king for Israel, Jehu. And he was to even anoint a king. Now, listen to this. This is amazing considering today's uh, landscape as well. But he was to anoint a king in Syria. <laughs> That's wild. The same Syria that you read about today in the paper. The, the prophet of Israel was to anoint a king in Syria, Haziel. 
But here's what's amazing to me. I, when I first saw this, I realized this is wild, man. God sent a chariot to get Elijah, though Elijah had only done one of those three assignments. What? Apparently, God wasn't nervous about him doing everything. The anointing would remain. The assignment would remain. There would just be a change of who's going to do it. I'm getting myself way off into some, I could tell you some crazy stories about that very stuff. But who does end up anointing a king in Syria? Elisha. Who anointed the king for Israel? Jehu. Elisha. The anointing that was on Elijah had come on Elisha, and so had the assignments. Now, maybe it's just guys like me that get excited about this kind of stuff. But what this says to me, and what I wanted to say to you, is that you are in the days, if we could call it this, the days of Elijah or the days when Elisha and the people of God, you and me, are picking up that mantle of the spirit and power that he described as the spirit and power of Elijah. We know it's the Holy Spirit. We know it's the anointing that was on Jesus. There's nothing greater than that. But I don't know, just something flips inside of me when I think about the anointing that was on Elijah. This was wild. What's most important, though, is that there's something alive in you right now. And I want this to go off in you so big tonight. And I want you to see some things that happened right at the end of Elisha's life that are pivotal and key to these things really going off in you and you having the kind of results that he's described. 2 Kings chapter 13, Elisha is in his last days really, last moments maybe. And the Bible says in verse 15, when... Joash the king came to see him about things. Elisha said to him, take a bow and take some arrows. And so he took himself a bow and some arrows and he said to the king of Israel, Elisha said, put your hand on the bow. And he put his hand on it. And Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. And there's something important to realize that when you're facing something in your life, you got to pick up the right weapons and the right mindset in order to really deal with what's coming at you. That while Jesus is Lord and God's on your side and God's at work in your life, God does not do for us what he has commissioned us to do in our life ourselves. He doesn't do our praying for us. He doesn't do the things that need to be done that honor God for us. He's given us the things to do so that we are in cooperation with him and we're doing it by faith. Sometimes the things he tells us to do just don't seem to make all that much sense. I mean, 
Pastor brought something up tonight. It's, it seems in some ways almost silly that you would think you could put your hand on somebody who is sick and that something's going to happen. <laughs> I mean, you just look at that. I don't know if you've ever watched some of those healing meeting services on TV. It's, it's so powerful to be in them. But somehow when you watch them on TV, TV just changes the whole attitude of things so many times. You see people praising and worshiping God or some of them in some places get to dancing and doing wild stuff. And if you're there, it's like, yes, this is so Jesus. But when you're watching it from your living room on TV, you're saying, wow, do I look like that? That's really weird. That just looks, I don't know if I should do that again next time. Just in case there's a camera on me. Just a whole different thing about it. Am I alone in this? Something about being the spectator to the things that God wants happen in our, in our life changes everything about it. But when you're the one in the middle of it, man, this thing is alive. It's real. Glory to God. And oftentimes there's things that we will do or things that God will commission us to do that can just seem so questionable in my eyes. Lay hands on them and they'll recover. Huh? What? Well, that's what he said. Seems silly from a purely natural, carnal point of view, but thank God we are not just purely natural and carnal. Well, you've missed a great place to say amen right there. Sometimes we're so influenced, though, by the appearance or our fear of the appearance of something or what could happen or what may not happen that we miss the whole mark of what God really had on his mind. Let me just tell you this story. I don't think I told it last night. I told somebody not long ago. <laughs> if I brought it up last night, just stop me. I was in uh, Gold Coast of Australia a number of years ago, and I was a part of a conference. Did I tell you this last night? No. I didn't think so. <laughs> Just testing. I'm a part of a conference. It's going on for several days. Several speakers, two or three of us as main speakers speaking in the evening. And, and the way this was going is great church, and uh, the meetings are just amazing. And I didn't know some of these other guys. We were from kind of maybe different, how should you say, streams or segments of the body of Christ. And yet, these are wonderful people and just uh, really God was moving and doing some marvelous things. And now we're coming down to the end of the week. I'm speaking on Thursday night, but all week they've been announcing Friday night, particularly because Friday night, the one speaker that was a part of this conference had a very well-known and strong healing anointing. And they were going to have, and Friday night was healing night. People are being going to be healed, bring the sick, and, and uh, they've been talking about it all week. And 
People had known this ministry, had been in the area before, and people were excited about tomorrow night. But I'm speaking tonight. <laughs> and I'll be honest with you, and I think it's good to be honest in church and being a preacher. I think it's a good policy, so I'm just going to reiterate that I'm being honest with you about this. Why we think we have to reiterate that at a time like this is a mystery. But as I was getting ready for that service that night and I knew God had given me things to minister, I was clear about the direction, but honestly, walking into the service and even just prior to the service, I don't know, there's times you just don't feel like you got it. It's like, I know that the God wants this. I'm glad I'm doing what I'm doing. I love all of this, but tonight, you know, I'm going to do it because uh, but I'm just not feeling the, the real presence of the Lord and the real, I'm just not feeling it. Can I be honest with you on Saturday night? Is that all right? Is there any mercy in the house? Yes. Just a little. It's towards the front, I think. But a little in the back. Praise the Lord. I'm walking into the building, and I hear the voice of the Lord. He said, after you minister the things I've given you, I want you to lay hands on the sick. I said, what? I argued with the Lord. You've probably never done that, but I've done it many times. I said, Lord, healing is, that, that's tomorrow night. <laughs> tomorrow night's the healing service. I said that to the Lord like he didn't know. <laughs> no, I know he knew, but I, this is putting me in an odd position here. Because tomorrow night is when healing, that's healing night. And so what? I'm going to come in the night before and, and lay hands on the sick when... Have I got some problem here that I can't take somebody else having a healing service without me being involved? I mean, you wonder what is, how does this come, how do you do this? And oddly enough, you ask these questions of the Lord, he can be amazingly silent about things that I feel are important details. I thought that was important. I'd like some clarity on this, Lord. Uh, there was no further clarity. He said, I just, I want you to lay hands on the sick tonight. So I went ahead, ministered uh, the things that the Lord had given me to minister that night, and, and I knew the Spirit of God was flowing, even though I still wasn't feeling it through all this service. And then right towards the end of the service, it came up once again from the Lord, loud and clear. I, now I want you to lay hands on the sick. So you've got a choice to make at a time like this. You either say yes or you run fast. <laughs> All right, you don't get this, but... And of course, you know running fast doesn't work. You can't run and get away and get out of it. You can miss the moment, but now you've got other issues you're going to have to deal with. Anyway... So I, I told this audience, I said, now look, before I'm seated, I, I just want to remind you of just a couple of things, and then I've got something else that I need to do and tell you. But tomorrow night is healing night. 
How many of you coming back tomorrow night? Man, I did my best over the next minute or so to pump up tomorrow night. It's healing night tomorrow night. Man, bring people. I did my best just to lay it as thick as I could because I didn't want some sort of question about what was about to happen next. So I, you know, sometimes you worry about stuff that really may not be one big deal at all. But this is what goes on in a guy's head at times. At least a guy like me. Is this too carnal for you? Well, I appreciate nobody shouting out. Yeah, it really is. I appreciate that. And I said, now, the Lord gave me some instruction when I walked into the service tonight. I thought, I'm going to do my best to put this off on God as quick as I can. <laughs> and he told me I was to lay hands on some people tonight. I said, I know tomorrow night's healing night. <laughs> I did. I reiterated it, did my best. But I said, the Lord's given me instruction to lay hands on people tonight. Now, I didn't suggest it needed to be everybody. I didn't suggest that if you really had your heart going for tomorrow night, you like that guy a lot and you're ready to receive tomorrow and that's where you're coming. I'm like, you don't need to come tonight. There was no obligation. I'm just obeying the way God put it on me to lay it out. So I just said it that way. I said, you just come tomorrow night, but if you want to, hands laid on you tonight, I'd like you to come. I believe the Lord's told me to lay hands on some people tonight. So if you'd like hands laid on you tonight, I'm just following. I'm not feeling it. I'm just, is that all right, Brownie? Is that all right? <laughs> I'm not feeling it. But I, I'm just following. Well, lo and behold, three-fourths of this church get up and come to the front. I mean, they were everywhere. This was really a wide church, probably two or three times and went to this place. And I mean, it's really way across. They were everywhere across the front. They're down the aisle. I'm saying, oh, Jesus. <laughs> and I'm going to lay hands on them. All of them, I am. I, but I, I watched something happen while people are coming. And there was a lady right here on the second row. And there's a lot of people. I didn't really, you know, I was a little ways away. And, but I could tell that there was a commotion going. And they started to move these chairs. They were movable like these. And they started to move the front row out of the way. And here she came on, on metal crutches with very, very clearly with braces on both legs where they didn't bend at all and you realize from taking a quick look there is a brace under her clothing on her back now she's got braces and crutches and every step she is grimacing in pain as she comes for me to lay hands on her i'm saying oh hallelujah i'm not feeling it so here's what goes through my head. Man, I don't know why I'm telling you this. I wished I hadn't brought this up. <laughs> okay, I'm not going to tell you. I know, I am. Yeah, you're right, Tina. <laughs> here's what goes through my head. I'm watching all this happen. Here she comes, here they come, they're everywhere, and here she stands. Here's what goes through my head. I'm going to pray for her first because she's in a lot of pain and she needs to get back to her seat. And then I'll go pray for everybody else. 
That's sad, isn't it? That's what goes through my head. Then I caught it. I thought, well, that's no way to think. But that's what I did. I went and prayed for her first. So she could go ahead and scoot her painful body back to her seat. Not a whole lot of expectation for much to happen here when I pray. I just want to pray for her in a hurry so she can go sit down because she's in a lot of pain. So that's what I did. I went and prayed for her, and sure enough, as soon as I finished praying for her, she turned around and she got back to her seat, and I was relieved. I went on and I prayed for other people, started at this end, went all the way down. And people, things, different things are happening. You know, people respond different ways. Some people, uh, they, they throw their hands up and receive and other people just stand there like a stump and other people, they fall under the power of God and then some people kind of laugh in the presence of Jesus and other people start to cry, oh, Jesus, thank you so much. Oh, God, Jesus, Jesus. I mean, just all kinds of stuff, and some and people are receiving. God's doing things. I'm feeling nothing. I'm feel, I feel nothing. But I'm doing it. And I get finished with all of this, and it took a little while. It was quite a few people. Singers are singing. God bless them for singing. People are feeling stuff. They're getting stuff. I'm getting nothing, but I'm not the one getting prayed for. So I guess that's okay. Anyway, I finish and still not feeling it. Glad I'm done. Turned to the pastor. He's seated over on the side over here. And I said, Pastor, I'm done. And I just went over to sit down. I was so glad that was over. I was just glad it was over. Pastor got up and he had a few things to say and started to talk about tomorrow night. And suddenly there was a a commotion again right over here on the second row. And the people on the front row started to move those chairs back out of the way once again. And here came this lady, only this time she's not, she's not got her crutches. She's still got braces on, and she's coming out like this without those crutches. And she stands there, and she starts to pull these braces off of her legs. She's still got this one, and she can't get to this one uh, without, you know, half undressing. And uh, so she's got this one on, but she takes these off from her legs, and people are going wild. Glory to God. Well, what they knew that I found out later is this church had watched this lady begin, begin into a series of issues and surgeries that went wrong over eight years. And she's been going through this for eight years, and the whole church has known it. And tonight, she's come out without her crutches for the first time in years. And she's pulling these things off. The church is going wild. I'm enjoying it. (laughs) I'm not feeling it, but I'm feeling her. You know, it's great. She, in fact, even stood there with this brace still on and bent over with her legs straight, no braces on, and touched the palm of her hands onto the floor. I'm saying... I need a miracle to do that. (laughs) And that's a fact. (laughs) Place is going wild, man. I mean, God, God heals this lady. She leaves, takes the brace off 
from, you know, going, she went in the ladies' room, took this other brace off, and comes back into the service, holding the brace, place is going nuts still, power of God, other people are rejoicing. I mean, God healed some folks, but this girl got a major miracle that night, something that they had prayed for many times, I know. What that told me is the day of deliverance is not about how you feel about it. It's not about you having the sense of joy, the sense of gladness, the sense of this is so great, this is the moment. It is just about many times not feeling it, but following it, receiving it, deciding, I will rejoice. Joash was told to pick up that bow. He didn't know what that was about, but man, you got to pick it up. Pick up the bow. That's what the prophet told him to do. I just know in my spirit tonight, I'm telling you to do exactly the same thing. And I don't know uh, what your deal is, but I know this, this is a moment and a time of deliverance. It is our day, it is your day, and it's time, just as the prophet told this, this king, it's time to pick up the bow in the hand of God, just like Elisha's hand, the hand of God will come upon your hand when you pick up the weapon that God's given to you. He said, pick up the bow and pick up the arrows. And he picked up the bow and picked up the arrows. And then the Lord told him to take the shot and take the arrow and shoot it out the east window. This is the arrow of the Lord's deliverance. That was the word of the Lord to this king. He took the arrow, he shot it out the window, and then the prophet said, pick up the arrows, there were more arrows, and strike the ground with them, because this is the deliverance for Israel from Syria. And when the prophet said that, this king picked up those arrows, and the Bible said he struck the ground three times. We're not going to take the time to read it. You know where to read now. You can read it for yourself. He struck the ground three times, and he stopped. The Bible says it very clearly. He stopped. Say it out loud. He stopped. He stopped. Elisha said to him, you should not have stopped. You should have kept on striking and striking until... The enemy was destroyed. The spirit of victory, the, the message of deliverance, the salvation that Jesus has given, it's the most powerful thing there is. But we still have to pick it up. We still have to take the weapons of this kingdom, and we have to use them against the enemy that comes to derail our life. Too many times Christians have taken this passive position, and really this king had that kind of passive thinking in a lot of ways. He followed the Lord's instruction through Elisha. He did pick up the, 
the bow. He did pick up the arrows. He did shoot once. He struck the ground, but only three times, and he was done. The Lord went on to tell him that you will only win three battles against this enemy. You should have continued. You should pick up the weapon, take the shot, and don't stop until you destroy that enemy. There's something about faith and walking with God and laying hold on the promise of God that takes that kind of attitude that Elisha described. We pick up the weapons of our warfare. We take the shot. We know what the enemy is. So many times Christians have taken the passive role to say, God knows what I need, and he'll take care of this for me. But that's not what he's told us. He does know what we need. But if we're going to walk with God, we're going to pick up what he tells us to pick up. We're going to aim at what he tells us to aim at. We're going to take the shot and we're going to keep taking the shot until that enemy's destroyed. Amen. Now, look, we know Jesus paid the price. The enemy has no right. But we also know that there is a war going on in our life. There is a strategy against us. There is a devil. He's been, his works have been defeated. He doesn't have the strength to do all the kinds of things he tells you. He has only really the capacity to deceive you into believing what he's doing in your life. Christians give Satan their power. Really just in the same manner that Adam gave Satan his power in the Garden of Eden. It happens all the time today. That though Adam had been commissioned by God to take care of the garden, God could have taken care of the garden. God didn't design it in a way where God's the one going to take care of the garden. He designed it for Adam to tend the garden. God would bless it. It would multiply. Every need was met. Everything was there, but there was some work that had to be done. It wasn't work to get the garden. It was work to keep that garden. We don't work to gain our salvation. And, in, and I'll use this terminology. We have to maintain our salvation in the sense that, not in the sense that you're about to lose it if you don't. No, no, that's not the point. The point is there are things that Satan will take advantage of in a person's life and begin to rob them. And it comes through wrong thinking, wrong information, wrong experiences in their life somebody that ripped you off, somebody that disappointed you, somebody that messed you up in one way or another. And suddenly, things begin to shift for you. He tells us to pick up the weapons. Let me read it to you from the New Testament. There's a great statement that I want you to catch also. Second Corinthians chapter 10, of course, verse 4. He said, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal weapons, but they are mighty in God 
for the pulling down of strongholds. Verse 5 says, casting down imaginations or arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Or let's say it this way, to the obedience of the anointing of God that's born on the inside of you. I realize we could say to the obedience of Jesus, to Jesus, and that's, that would be correct, but he, he does say to Christ. And while we understand that that includes Jesus, obviously, but there is an aspect of understanding that it is the anointing that is within us and that we literally, if I can use this terminology, we obey what that anointing has the capacity to do in our life. And we do that by picking up the weapons of our warfare that have been given to us in Christ, in the anointing, by Jesus, and we effectively use those to pull down whatever strongholds the enemy has tried to build in our soul. In our soul. Let me talk to you about that for just a minute. You understand that God has made you in his image and in his likeness and that you are a three-part being, just like he is. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you have been made in his likeness and in his image, spirit, soul, and body. You're a three-part being just as God is a three-part being. For, for centuries after the Garden of Eden, man lived as a two-part being. Because man died spiritually, sin came, and when the law revealed the sin, well, we're opening too many cans here, uh, but when, I'll say it anyway, when the law revealed the sin, man died. But he didn't die physically, not instantly. No, 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 he died spiritually, though. Adam died spiritually. And that's when the clock began with him aging. He lived 900 years plus, but we don't know how much time had gone before the clock started. All right, that, well, okay, that's, guys like me like that kind of stuff. So, For centuries, people lived as a two-part being, and even today, the vast majority of people on the earth still live as a two-part being, though they were designed by God to live a different way. We've been designed by God to live out of our spirit, where God will dwell when Jesus becomes Lord of a person's life. God moves in, and you come alive spiritually. That's where the anointing is. That's where the presence of God is. That's where we have this connection between heaven and earth. Now, we have become the link between what goes on in heaven and what happens on the earth, and it happens right there in the inner man of every born-again believer. But sadly, many even born-again believers still live Though they are alive in the spirit, they still primarily make their decisions and choices based on what goes on in, not in their spirit, but what is in their soul. 
The soul is the mind, the will, the emotions, the intellectual side of a person's life. It's not in itself evil. God made us with this soulish life, and yet when it is in the lead, when it is the emotions of life and the emotional ups and downs of life that is dictating how things are going for you, then that soulish life is in the wrong place and it is not producing, it doesn't have the capacity to keep you in that place of joy and gladness of heart. So you're going to be on a roller coaster all the time because your emotions are going to be dictating things that you can't seem to entirely control. But as we grow in God and as we learn how we've been designed, we learn how to modify that habit of living by the emotions only and by our intellect and reasoning and our will, and we begin to learn how to listen to our inner man, and we get better about following that leadership of the Holy Spirit that, who is in our spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit begins to become more of the way we choose to live. And what contradicts that fruit of the Spirit? You know what I'm talking about, the fruit of the Spirit? Paul gave us a nice list of the fruit of the Spirit. It's the evidence that Jesus is in us. I mean, he's flowing in our life and we're growing in God because there's fruit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. <laughs> that one doesn't get a lot of press, that particular one, long-suffering. We're, we're heavy on the... The love, you got to walk in love, man. It's the love of Jesus and God love you and you need joy, which I've been t hammering you about tonight. I mean, I've been encouraging you about tonight. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but there's a lot of different parts of it, but that long-suffering one, that one doesn't get a lot of press, long-suffering. In fact, some translations is translated as patience. But it's really, there's a little more to it than patience the way we typically look at it. Patience to a lot of us is just tie a knot in the end of your rope and hang in there, baby. You know, it's like, just be patient. One of these days, it's all going to, that's really not the idea. No, long-suffering, in fact, a little study of it is kind of cool. None of us like the idea of suffering. We sure don't like the idea of suffering long. I think we'd warm up to it better if it was short-suffering. If, you know, fruit of the Spirit is short-suffering. You suffer, suffer short, but if it gets long, forget it. But it's not that. Here's, here's the idea of long-suffering I want to get, get across to you. Long-suffering, just a little bit of a study on that, it is to put something at a distance from you. That's one part of it. Put something at a distance, that's the long part. Not long in, in having a, a long time, it's that there's a distance that you've created And that word that in this compound word for suffering, that part of it, is really the word for wrath. It is to be distant from wrath. Long suffering. It's not that we suffer with the devil a long time. Well, you just got to put up with some stuff, you know, Dennis. It's just you got to suffer through. 
That's not the idea of the fruit of the Spirit in long-suffering. It's that, no, 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 no. It's that when we come under pressure, something comes out of us different than the way it used to come out. We've put wrath coming out of our life at a distance. It's what I call being long-fused. I mean, you know how it goes. Now, I grew up in L.A., and in L.A., driving is, is a different experience in, in a lot of places. I found now Dallas is becoming more and more of that. In fact, they've taken it to a new level. They have what I call creative driving. <laughs> Not as bad as Manila, frankly. I've been in Manila or Bangkok. In those places, it seems to me, now this is just an observation I had in just a brief time that I was there, but there... Uh, the lines on the road are more like suggestions, and the, the lights are just recommendations. And it's like, you know, if, you, if this works for you, you should stop. Yeah, if, if you like this section of the street, stay on this side, but you don't have to. I mean, it's, it's all over the place. It's creative driving. And I find more and more people now are bringing that sort of mindset to Dallas. <laughs> But I just remember driving at different times, and it still happens even now. You drive along, it's a nice day, your window's down, your fuse is hanging out. You just have your fuse hanging out. And somebody feels like they want to help you understand that you are on their road, and you need to get out of the way. They come up behind you quick. In some cases, they'll flash their lights at you, which is their way of saying, get out of the way. You can, you can feel it. <laughs> yeah, you think it's my imagination. No, no, they mean that. <laughs> and when they get a moment, because I'm not always that good to respond to these sort of demands, they pull to the side and they blow around you quick and s slide back in front of you, just barely in front of you to let you know that you did not follow my commands. And on the way by, it's like they've had their torch hanging out and they lit the fuse on fire. <laughs> now that the fuse is lit... It begins to sizzle. <laughs> but now the purpose of the fuse is actually for safety. It's for everyone's safety. It is to provide time. From the time it is lit until the actual explosion takes place. We have some time. This is for the sake of the person who is driving the automobile in front of me. <laughs> or you. Let me, I'd rather talk about you. <laughs> Long-suffering is to be long-fused. You see, when you first get saved, many people first get saved, your fuse is microscopic in length. It is so very small that it provides no safety whatsoever. Somebody comes by, lights your fuse, boom! 
you blow up instantly. What do you mean lighting my fuse like that? No, 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 whatever it is. And some people, their fuse is so microscopic that it really doesn't need to be lit. It just gets warm. And there's an explosion that takes place. But as you grow in God and the fruit of the Spirit begins to grow in you, that fuse gets longer. This is an amazing thing. And it really is not only for your sake, it is for the sake of those you love and those who are driving around you. It's for safety. The fuse is lit. You're sizzling. Here's what I discovered. There is no sin in sizzling. The sizzle is the evidence that there's fruit of the Spirit in my life. Now, you may not detect that it's really fruit because the sizzle does tend to change the way I look and maybe even the things I might mumble, but I don't intend for you to hear those things. But when the fuse is lit... And it's the person that has just passed by. Now, there's a decision that has to be made because when we do come to the light, now this automobile is stopped ahead of me. It's odd that that was the goal that they had in mind and me getting out of their way. And they went through all of this effort and turmoil and struggled and pulling out and speeding by and slamming back in and waving to me in that unfriendly manner on the way by and pulling in, and then they wanted to what? They wanted to be first at the red light. That's a, that's a tense way to live, man. That's a tense way to live. But now that they're first at the red light and I am approaching still with two tons of steel around me and moving at a high rate of speed, I have to make a decision. And I have to make a decision based on what has been happening here just lately. One side of me wants to reconfigure the back of this car that is parked now at the red light in front of me. And while I know that I would pay a price, I have to weigh out. It might be worth it. <laughs> Except for the fact that I have a fuse. And what that fuse has done is it has bought me time, time for the love of Jesus that is also in me to begin to emerge for some joy to come back because I've lost it now temporarily for the other aspects of the presence of Jesus and what would Jesus do in this situation? <laughs> I think he would kill this guy. No, but you can't, your fuse is lit, see, and you can't end there. You say, no, he, he wouldn't have killed him. Maimed him maybe, but he wouldn't have, no, he wouldn't have maimed him. He won't wreck the, no, you know what, uh, he would, he would just love him. And I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna love this sucker. <laughs> yeah. I love the Jesus. Man, I love you, you jerk. <laughs> Come on, man. You guys look so holy right now. I'm really telling more about me. Really, I'm not talking about me. This is somebody that I knew. 
Oh, you knew somebody like this too. Maybe we knew the same person. (laughs) Now, instead of all of that, we stir up what God's placed in us. We know that all the fruit of the Spirit of God does dwell in us. We may have covered it over real well. It may seem to be non-existent at the moment, but the very fact that I'm sizzling and I have a fuse just indicates that I'm better than I used to be. And that love starts to, and you just realize, you know what? I really don't care how this sucker drives. If he wanted to be first at the light, I'm happy he made it. Well, I'm not real happy, but it's okay. And while that can be humorous and all of that, There's some serious issues in life that require that we lean on that fruit of the Spirit that's within us rather than taking action or making decisions or moving in directions that are based on our soulish reasoning, our volatile emotions, our wrong thinking, our bad habits, or the things that Satan has left like a thorn in our soul. You know, Paul talked about the thorn in his flesh, but oftentimes there is a thorn that we have left remaining in our soul because of events and things that have happened. Somebody's done, they've crossed the line, they've betrayed us. And while we have worked and sought God and forgiven, there remains a thorn in our soul oftentimes that Satan will play with. And he'll bring back these betrayals and these issues and give you evidence that nothing's changed even yet. And all that's happening is Satan's playing with that thorn, and every time that he plays with it, it feels like it just got stuck in for the first time right now. Do you follow what I'm saying here? I believe the Holy Spirit's speaking to some people. But the Holy Spirit will, when we lay hold on the deliverance, when we take the weapon, when we shoot the shot and keep shooting until that enemy is destroyed, that thorn gets pulled right out. And while we still remember things, it doesn't feel the same now. It just isn't there. It isn't what it was. Yeah, in my soul, I've taken hold. Let me jump to one last thing, and I'm going to do my best to do this in just a few minutes. Is it still dark out? Oh, it hadn't got dark yet. Oh, yeah. That's where I am. Oh, good, then we've got till dark. Let me show you. (laughs) Man, I think that was a revelation from the Lord. What do you think? We'll just go till dark. We won't won't go after dark for it. Yeah, thanks for your enthusiasm over that. Let me go to the 91st Psalm. I I had this stir up in me, something that God showed me long ago, but he stirred this up in me. Psalm 91. Man, I use Psalm 91 for so many things. But just in the very first verse, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord. Now, this wasn't the main point I came here for, but I want you to hear this. 
We're about to read one of the ways you pick up the weapon. The weapons of the Lord that are not carnal. We put something in our mouth. We declare certain things. We declare the promise of God. But here, the psalmist says it this way, I will say of the Lord. We're about to find out something to say. Not just something to think, not just something to read, something we are to declare. He said, I will say of the Lord. So here's what we say. He is my refuge. When I'm under attack, he's my refuge. When that thorn is trying to, trying to resurface and get at me again, no, 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 he's my refuge. That thorn has no place in me. So I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in him I will trust. Glory to God. I think you ought to say it right now. Let's say it together. He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in him I will trust. Let's say it again. He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in him I will trust. Right in the middle of your emotions trying to drag you in a direction. Somebody lighten your fuse one way or another. Your flesh trying to rise up. Somebody attacking you financially or trying to take you to court or somebody close to you that has violated your life in one way or another or said something you just don't like right now? The Lord is my refuge. You just say it of the Lord. But this psalmist goes on, and there's so many great things in this, but I, I want to point out this. Three times in this psalm, this psalm uses the word deliver. The Lord is our deliverer. That's what we're talking about tonight, shooting the arrow of deliverance that this is our day, uh, this is our time of deliverance. We're in the place of restoration and deliverance. Three times the psalmist uses, this psalm uses that word. But what is so powerful is that each of the Hebrew words are totally different. In English, it's identically the same. But in the Hebrew, it is completely different. There are different ways deliverance comes. He is our refuge, our fortress, our deliverer. But there's different ways that this weapon of faith brings deliverance in our life. And I want to point these out to you very quickly, and then I need to pray for some people here tonight. In verse 3, he says it, and here's the first instance. He said, surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perils or perilous pestilence. He shall deliver you. This word, and it uh, obviously in the context, but it literally means to snatch up out of a trap. He will deliver you. This is someone who has gotten into a snare, some trick, some strategy, some plan, some offense. He's gotten into the trouble, and God said, I'll snatch you up out of it. One of the greatest things to know about God is no matter how you get into trouble, and oftentimes we get into it without the devil's help, all by ourselves. We create a lot of our own. We blame the devil. I do it too. It was the devil maybe do it. Uh, but in the end, he has to show up after you've done it just to get some credit. So many things we just do out of habit. This is how we've been. We've been trained by whatever to 
violate whatever and you get yourself into some snare, some trap, some problem, and it feels like there's no way out, and that's what the devil will tell you. <clears throat> You'll never get past this. This will never end. But here's what he said. He would deliver you. He will what? He'll snatch you up out of whatever snare you have gotten yourself into. Whether the devil did it, and he does, and, or whether you've done it and you've allowed somebody else to drag you into it, or however you get there, you call on God, he's ready to snatch you up out of trouble, man. Because we declare he is our refuge, our fortress, our God. In him we trust, man. He is right now, this instant, ready to snatch you up. Glory to God. And that's for you tonight, right this minute. But he goes on. There's lots of other things in this psalm, but I want to drop down to verse 14. Because here's the second instance that the word deliver is in this psalm. God's speaking here about this person now. He said, because he has set his love on me, therefore I will deliver him. This is a very different word for deliver. It's not to snatch up, but it is to lift and carry to safety. It's a very different concept. This isn't referring really to someone who got into trouble. This is someone who has looked to the Lord and avoided the trouble. And God carried him across and put him in a high place. And that's really how he describes it in verse 14. He said, he set his love on me, therefore I will deliver him and set him on high because he's known my name. And that's the idea of this deliverance. We've heard something, followed our heart, and we've avoided the snares of death. We've avoided the tricks We listened to our heart and we didn't let our emotions push us, drag us, inspire us to say things that it'll take years to undo, if you ever can. No, we avoided that. We avoided the investment that we would have maybe lost a lot of money on. We avoided going down a direction, taking a job that would have been a dead end. We avoided because we followed our heart. We avoided marrying the wrong person. We did marry the right person. And so God would deliver us because we've set our love on him. That's what he said. But this last one is in the very next verse, verse 15. Watch this. He shall call upon me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I think that's an interesting concept. Because he didn't say he would stop the trouble. You see, so often as believers, we are thinking we want God to stop the trouble. That our idea of deliverance is that we're not going to face trouble anymore. It all stops. Now, that's just not even close to being biblical, but sometimes people get that weird idea that if trouble has come, God wants to stop it. Well, now those things are true, but here's how he says it'll happen. 
He said, I'll be with him in trouble, and I will deliver him and honor him. This word deliver is so different from the others, it literally means he will equip you for battle and equip you to destroy that enemy. It's all about equipping. He said, I'll be with you. I'm not going to leave you on your own, but I'm equipping you. The weaponry is in your hands. And I'm with you just like Elisha's hand went on that king's hand to hold the bow. God said, I'm with you in this. You're not alone in this, and I've given you what it takes. You have what it takes. Take the shot. Shoot the arrow and keep shooting it until you destroy this enemy. That's what the psalmist said, Psalm 37. He said, I will beat that enemy to dust, and I'll keep beating him. You know, sometimes love of Jesus, love of Jesus looks pretty rough. We're going to cut something up. We're not talking about people. I know sometimes we want those, well, those people, I think that would work for them. Let's kill them. <laughs> No, 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 that's, that's not what he's talking about. We're not talking about battling against people. We're talking about, I know somebody said, oh, shucks. You know, I had my list going here. No, 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 that's, you remember the Sons of Thunder? You know, they wanted to call fire down on some people. Yeah, no, Jesus said, no, no, that's not what we do here. Rats. I've had my list, you've had yours. Well, that's not how it goes, but God said, I'll be with you in trouble. I'll deliver you because I give you the tools. I'll show you how to shoot. I'll show you where to shoot it. I'll show you how to deal with this enemy. I'll show you how to come in on the healing side, on the love side, on the restoration side. You don't have to fall again. You don't have to feel beat up again. And you don't have to let what somebody said to you become your truth. Something starts to happen on the inside of you where there is such a substance, such a stable sense that all the things that once would have just put you under now literally bounce off. They don't stick. You know that somebody took their shot, but it just doesn't stick. Are you with me in this? I believe the deliverer is in the house tonight. I know you know he is. This is the day of deliverance. I want you to stand with me. Because deliverance has come. It's not coming. I, I want you to get this really strong. Your deliverance is not coming. It's not for one of these days. It's not, Dennis, I know one day God is going to heal me. I know that I know that I know. I've had people, they just did their best to convince me that they knew it was coming. But all that tells me is that they are convinced of something they know nothing about. Because deliverance isn't coming. Deliverance has come. The power is here. Healing's not in heaven. The mantle I mean, these, all these pictures go off of me. That mantle came back to the earth. That mantle of Elijah wasn't needed in heaven. It was just needed here. Amen. And it's all here. Jesus brought it, 
He went up, but the anointing remained. He took what he did onto the mercy seat of heaven, but the forgiveness and deliverance all came to this earth. And it's all here now. It's not on its way. It's not one of these days. It's not that God has you in his sights and one day he's going to pull the trigger and you'll get it. No. He's already filled you. He's already empowered you. He's already given you the substance, the deliverance, and the day of deliverance has already come, and we're living in it for every day of our life. This is that day. So based on that, I declare to you that tumors in your body have no right to remain. Disease in your body has no right to remain. Attacks against your kidneys have no right to remain. I declare healing into your kidneys, into your liver, into your body where those tumors dissolve and what's caused them is changed, where your hormone levels are being addressed and the Spirit of God is moving in your body to bring restoration and wholeness to you. Glory to God. There's people in this room that have had a variety of infirmities and things that have come at you, and God wants that delivering power active inside of you right this minute so that what has been going on in you doesn't have a right to remain. Glory to God. Come on, lift your hands before the Lord. And I want you to receive right now. There's a spirit of forgiveness in this house that not only are you forgiven and a revelation of that grace is growing big, but there is also grace in you to forgive and release. You know, I heard it in my spirit earlier and I, I mentioned it, but right now that delivering power is here for someone who has been deeply cut by betrayal. In the name of Jesus, deeply cut, and you've lived with the pain of it, and it has created nothing but trouble for you. Though you are really the victim of it, today's your day of deliverance, child of God. Hallelujah. And here you stand in the presence of God and the power of that love and forgiveness. I didn't say you had to feel it, but you do have to receive it. You have to take the weapon in your hand. You have to let God put his hand on yours. You have to take the shot and know that that is an enemy and a devil that has come to destroy your house, your life, your health, and your future. And you take the shot right now. You shoot the arrow of deliverance. You just declare it. The Lord is my refuge. And I release the power and love of God into my soul. That betrayal and the pain of it will not define my life for another instant. In Jesus' name. Be free in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Now, if you're in the audience now, 
and you want me to lay hands on you for healing in your body, I want you to slip up here right now. Because there is deliverance here right this instant. And it wouldn't matter how many times you've had people pray for you. Because I'm not going to pray for you. I'm going to lay hands on you. And I'm going to speak a word. We don't need prayer right now. He's already brought deliverance. Healing is already established. This is the day the Lord has made. But Scripture is filled with examples of laying hands. And I'll just go ahead and tell you, I feel it now. <laughs> it's, not, it's not required, but I like it this way. But I don't know what you'll feel. Some of you may not feel a thing. It's not about our feelings, but it is about a release of the power of God so that deliverance, healing, floods through your body. Infirmity leaves. Growths, tumor, lumps, bumps that don't belong in your body, they go. They have no right to remain. And I release it in the name of Jesus. And as I lay my hands on you, I believe there is a, a flood of that Zoe life of God, that connection that you and me take together. We come into agreement that this is the instant that that delivering power rushes through your flesh and things change in the name of Jesus. Do you receive that? Glory to God. Lift your hands. Each of you in this audience, stay with us in this. Lift your hands and be a part of it in Jesus' name. Glory to God. By the authority of Jesus, I release virtue into your body. Be made whole. In Jesus' name, there he is. Be made whole and receive in the name of Jesus. There's the anointing. Receive in the name of the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Receive in Jesus' name and be made whole. Hallelujah. Receive. Infirmity has to flee. In the name of the Lord Jesus, be made whole. Receive in Jesus' name. Receive in Jesus' name. Boy, that's so strong. Glory to God. Receive in Jesus' name and be made whole. That's the anointing, Ron. Receive and be made whole in the authority of Jesus' name. Receive and be made whole in Jesus' name. Lay your hand right on the middle, in the middle of your body, right there. And I'm just going to put my hand on yours. Just receive. There's that virtue of God right in the core of your being. Let it flood through every cell of this body in the authority of Jesus' name. That all through the systems of this body, there is Zoe life, restoration and deliverance in Jesus' name. Let it be so now in Jesus' name. Receive 
Shiva Romadike. That's him. Receive. There's the anointing of God. Receive. And be made whole in Jesus' name. Oh, hallelujah. That's his presence. Receive and be made whole. Hallelujah. Oh, yeah. That's his presence. Wash through her spirit, soul, and body. There's the anointing. Receive and be made whole in the authority of Jesus' name. That's him. Thank you, Lord. Receive in Jesus' name. There's the presence of God. Receive in the name of Jesus and be made whole. Wholeness and restoration in this body in Jesus' name. The pain is not got a right to remain in Jesus' name. Receive. There's the anointing. Receive. Oh, God, let it be so. There's the anointing and goodness of God for you, sir. Let it be so and flood through his body. Thank you, Lord. Lord, you are attentive. I know that. And you're attentive to this man's, not only his need, but his situation. You've come to heal and deliver and set a new track and a new course. This is time for it. In Jesus' name. There's the anointing. Receive. In Jesus' name. Glory to God. Say it out loud. I receive. I'm a receiver. Glory to God. Have you received? And what's your evidence? How do you know you received? Because the Word says so, and now you say so. God's word and your word now agree. That's where the power kicks in. Glory to God. It's been in the word all along. Now we pick up the weapon. We shoot the shot. And we keep declaring it. And keep shooting that arrow of our deliverance till our enemy is completely destroyed. We know he's destroyed, so we keep taking the shot. That's what we're doing here tonight. We took the shot. Said out loud, I've got the weapon. I've got the arrows. I take the shot. And I'm shooting until this enemy's totally out, totally destroyed. My body reveals it. You see, we're not just looking for theory. We're declaring faith. But ultimately, you get to feel it. I mean, that's what's cool. This isn't just about sticking with it, even though you feel and really wish you could die. No, no, no. This takes it in a place where it is not only revealed, it's not just in the Word, and it's not only now in your lips as a weapon, but it actually comes to pass in your body 
And these situations change as a result. Glory to God. The enemy's destroyed. Liberty has come. Glory to God. Amen. The arrow of deliverance. The day of deliverance. Our deliverance. Lift your hands once again and thank God for it. Would you just thank God for it? This is that time. (coughs) And you'll see yourself in a new light and you'll see yourself in a new way. And you'll see yourself as the healed and not the sick trying to get healed. You'll see yourself as delivered, not the weak trying to get delivered. The word is said, let the weak say, I am strong. When you're strong, you say you're strong. When you're weak, you say you're strong. So in the end, you're just strong. Say it out loud, I'm strong. The Lord is my refuge. He's the one I've run to. He is my deliverance and my deliverer. Go ahead and bless the Lord one more time, would you please? Glory to God. Amen. Are you glad you came tonight? Come on, shout a praise to the Lord. Glory to God. Now, one last thing that I'll mention, and it's got three parts to it. Anything a guy like me does has got to have three parts. That's what they tell you, you know, three, three points to the... Anyway, I brought materials that are set up in the lobby. And there's some things here that I've never had here before. And I want to encourage you to get them. There's a series out there. I think it's out there. It better be out there. <laughs> called Stir Up the Gift. Yeah. Did you see it out there? All right, it's out there. He says with confidence now. Stir up the gift that God has placed some things inside of you. And just like Paul told Timothy, don't neglect the gift that's in you. Stir up what's in you. And this is, it goes hand in hand with the kinds of things we talked about tonight. So I encourage you to get that. It's a two-message CD series, audio set. So get that. There's also books that we have had here before, but things that are so strong and so full of life and powerful that uh, you may have given yours away, can't find it, or never got it. There's a book Vicki wrote that Pastor Jonathan mentioned last night, Some Days You Dance. It's, it's probably the most powerful. Well, both books that Vicki wrote, Some Days You Dance, and she's got a number of books, but these last two just took it in a direction. Destiny Held Hostage and Some Days You Dance that Vicki's written are so full of life, clarity, and power over dealing with things in life that she was extremely transparent about things she has gone through and dealt with in her own life. Some of the stories in there, frankly, are none of your business, but there they are. I mean, they're in there. And, uh, and I encourage you to take advantage of it and let it bless you. And it really will. We've gotten so much feedback from these books. They have study guides in them. Discovery Guide is what she's called, the one in Some Days You Dance. I think it's called a Discovery Guide because it really is that. It helps you discover the power and reality of how to get your dance back, how to get back what Satan's trying to steal or prevent you from ever stepping into, how to recover from things that people have, have done in your life that have been tough to recover from. I mean, she goes through some amazing things in these books, and so I encourage you to get that. And a variety of other things. The last thing I'll mention, the third thing, is we continue to put out a daily devotional. Some of you get it. 
How many of you already get the daily devotional? By email. Well, then there's a lot of candidates, and it's free. It doesn't cost you anything. We'd love to send it to you. It'll show up every day. I think it gets here at 3 o'clock in the morning, just in time for you to get up. And it's uh, actually, Vicki has put this together and, and set it out, but I say we because we've been married 44 years nearly, and so I take credit when I can. Um, but uh, it's just full of, jam-packed, full of real revelation from the Word, real solid things, things you can count on and rely on. And it just takes a couple of minutes to read through, depending on your skills. But it, it's just full of good things, so I encourage you to get it. And uh, just let it be a blessing in your life if you get emails. It'll be there in your inbox waiting for you. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. I'm so glad you came tonight. And I believe this is just going to continue to grow and be a part of your life and a part of this ministry. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you, Pastor Jonathan. Hallelujah. Well, thank God. <clears throat> So we encourage you to come back tomorrow morning and celebrate with us. And I know that God always, he just, I mean, you know, we just heard about don't stop at three. You know, just keep keep going until the Lord says stop. And so uh, I'd say if you've been to both services, don't stop at two. Just keep coming because God keeps doing more. Amen. You know, Sister Vicki wrote a book called Some Days You Dance. I'm going to write a little pamphlet for you tonight called Sundays You Dance.